0: Welcome to the teaching ministry at Calvary PSL. Please join lead pastor Mike Wiggins for the message titled, The Marks of a Disciple.
1: All right, so last week we studied Paul's, remember this, message of hope. His message of hope that he delivered in the synagogue of Antioch of Pisidia up in the area of Galatia, which is modern-day Turkey. As I said last week, Paul's message as he stood on that Saturday morning and addressed the people, his message was not a man-centered message based on people's felt needs. No. I think Paul would be very uncomfortable in a lot of American churches today. His message was not a man-centered message based on felt needs. His message was a God-centered message that was based on God's word. And if you remember as we studied his message, Paul went to many books in the Old Testament. He taught from those books and then toward the end of his message, he pointed the people to Jesus as the Christ, as the Messiah. And if those people would believe in the risen Lord Jesus Christ, then Jesus would grant them both the forgiveness of their sins and freedom. From their sins. Let's just take, by way of review, a quick look back into that message of hope that Paul preached 2,000 years ago in the synagogue of Antioch. Everybody, look at chapter 13, verse 38. Chapter 13, verse 38. And it says, Paul says to these people, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, who was this man? Jesus. Forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Everybody, look at me. Why is it only through Jesus that we can be forgiven of our sins? What did he do that no other religious leader ever did? Right? He died for our sins. Mohammed didn't die for our sins. The Dalai Lama didn't die for our sins. Buddha certainly didn't die for our sins. No religious leader of any of the hundred of religions and cults around the world died for our sins. And that is why Jesus is the one and only way to heaven. Period. He's the only way. And so through this man, Paul says, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Verse 39, and by him... Everyone who works really hard, is that what it says in verse 39? No, that's world religion. That's bad news. You gotta work your way to God. Maybe you're saved, maybe you're not. No. Verse 39, and by him, by Jesus, everyone who believes, everybody say the word believes, is freed. Here's your freedom. Freed from everything from which you could not be freed by working really hard, keeping the law of Moses. And so this was a message of hope. And after he finished this message of hope, it says that many people believed. And then good news, they actually started following Jesus. We know this. They didn't they didn't just believe, they became disciples, they started following Jesus. We know this because of the last verse in chapter 13 describing Um, these uh, believers in Antioch, uh, Luke, who is the author of Acts, used the word, quote-unquote, disciples. Everybody take a quick look down at the very last verse of chapter 13, which will be our last verse later on in this message. It says in verse 52, and the who were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit? The disciples. All right, so what's a disciple? What's a disciple? Yes, a lifelong follower of Christ. And so let's find out where we get that phrase here at Calvary from the original language, okay? And so um, in the original language, the transliteration of that Greek word is mathetes, which means a learner, a pupil. By the way, uh, if you're visiting Calvary, BLB is Blue Letter Bible, blueletterbible.org, which is a great online tool uh, to help you grow in your faith. And so mathetes is a learner, a pupil. So what's a disciple? A learner, a pupil. And that mathetes is taken from the root word, manthano, disciple, which means to learn by use and, what's the next word? Practice, that's important. And so therefore, a disciple follows a teacher, and by the way, this is the first fill in on your blank if you're taking notes this morning, a disciple follows a teacher by living out his teachings, living out his teachings. Okay, so we see this in ancient Judaism. You have all these different rabbis, and all these different rabbis had their group of disciples, and those group of disciples would follow that rabbi, and they would live out or practice their teachings. All right, ladies and gentlemen, who is our teacher? What's his name? Jesus, the greatest teacher in history. And so Jesus stands above all human teachers because he, as Peter said, is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so after we receive Jesus as the Christ, as we receive him as our personal Lord and Savior, as we receive the free gift of salvation, then we should make a decision, like these people in Antioch did, and begin to follow him, become his disciples, become his learners, His pupils, and so thankfully we have his teachings in the four gospels, and not only just in the four gospels, we also have his teachings in the writing of the apostles in the rest of the New Testament. And so as Christ's disciples, we need to learn his teachings by reading the New Testament. You say, Pastor, man, this is so basic. Why are you sharing this with us? Because this is not, is what is not taught in many churches today. It's all about felt needs. It's all about how you can be a better you. And so I have to make this basic statement that as followers of Jesus Christ, you know what we need to do? We need to learn more about Jesus by reading the New Testament. Wow, that's what we should be doing. And not just reading the New Testament, but we need to be living out, practicing his teachings in our lives. And and listen to this. I gotta park here for a minute. Not living out his teachings in our own strength. Does anybody here think that we can really live out the teachings of Jesus Christ in our own strength? Yes or no? No. And the Lord knows this. And so when he went up, who did he send down? The Holy Spirit, the paraclete, the helper. Check out what Jesus said to his disciples in John 14 Jesus is ready to be crucified, be buried, and rise again, he's been sharing this with the disciples. They're bummed out because he's going away. And Jesus says, I, I need to encourage these guys. And so look at what he says. He says, I will ask the father and he will give you another, what? Helper. helper. Okay, the Greek word there is um, parakletos, where we get our word paraclete. Another, another of the same kind. Helper. Need some help this morning? <laughs> Okay, so look at this. To be with you for how long? Forever. Forever. We're sealed to the day of redemption. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him. For he dwells with you and will be where? In you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come. To you. Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled. I'm coming to you. And just like Jesus would say, I and the Father are one, he could say, I and the Spirit are one because it's one God eternally existed in three persons. I will come to you. And so when we receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord, the Spirit of Christ comes to live inside of us forever. Why? Well, one of his ministries is to help you live out the teachings of Christ. Help me live out the teachings of Christ in our lives as his disciples, as his followers. You know, there's lots of talk today about, you know, in discipleship, there's a discipler and there's a disciplee. And I get all that. But, but ladies and gentlemen, who's the number one discipler or who should be the number one discipler in our lives? Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, post-Pentecost, Jesus went up, the spirit came down, the spirit lives in us forever, and he's the number one discipler, and we are his disciples. And so here's what we're going to do today. As we go through the rest of chapter 13, so it's verses 42 through 52, as we tackle these 11 verses, I'm going to pull out the distinguishing marks that set apart the believers in Antioch as disciples as followers. And as you guys look at these marks of a disciple, then you'll be able personally and in your own heart to evaluate how you're doing as a follower of Jesus Christ. So Paul finishes his message of hope in the synagogue of Antioch 2,000 years ago, and check out the response of the people in verse 42. It says in verse 42, okay, I want you to imagine in your mind they're all leaving the synagogue. And it says, as they went out, the people, if you have the ESV, I want you to shout out the next word. The people what? Begged. Begged that these things might be told them the next day. Now, the NIV says the people invited Paul and Barnabas to speak more about these things the next Sabbath. But I don't believe invited. The word invited is strong enough here. The idea is they besought. They implored, they urged, ESV, they begged. They begged that Paul and Barnabas would come back and teach these things the next Sabbath. And ladies and gentlemen, the fact that they begged for another sermon tells me they hung, were hungry for the word of God. All right, and so what are the marks of a disciple? If you're taking notes, number two is spiritual Hunger. If you wanna fill in the note card today, number two is spiritual hunger. Now, the perfectionists among us are saying, Pastor, where's number one? (laughs) I'll get to that in a little while. And you'll see how it all makes sense here shortly. But number two is spiritual hunger. Now, when you consider our physical bodies, It's very clear that God made us with this thing called hunger. (laughs) Why? So that we would eat. And so that we would eat and develop and grow, okay? So what happened to the little girl on the left side of your screen? What happened is that she grew up. How did she grow up? Well, obviously, she received proper nutrition and that led to her physical growth, right? It all started with her mother's milk or or formula, and then as she continued to mature, that uh, she advanced to solid food or meat. And so proper nutrition led to her physical growth. What's true in the physical realm is also true in the spiritual realm. Now check out what the Bible says about milk and meat. Peter says, as newborn babies desire or hunger for the what, what's the next two words? pure milk of the word. Why? So that you may grow, just like that little girl, that you may grow thereby. Okay, that's the milk of the word, but check out the meat of the word. The author of Hebrew says, but solid food, KJV is strong meat, is for the mature, the spiritually mature. And so I love milk. I personally love milk. Uh, I remember my dad growing up would always have a glass of milk before he went to bed. And so I kind of, you know, do the same thing, except I I always, almost every single day at lunch, I have a big, tall glass of ice-cold milk. Now, for the health-conscious among you, it's okay. My wife makes sure she gets the GreenWise Reduced Fat Organic Milk, okay? So whatever that means, I don't know what it means, but that's what I drink almost every day at lunch. I love the taste of milk. I also love meat. Almost every day, I'll have a turkey, chicken, or roast beef sandwich on rye with low-fat Miracle Whip. (laughs) And don't tell my doctor, but with cheese. Not supposed to be doing that. Okay, but here's the point. Just like milk and meat leads to the nourishment of our physical bodies, the milk and meat of the Word of God leads to the spiritual nourishment of our souls. And so do you long, do you hunger for the milk and meat of God's word? As disciples, we should start with the milk of the word. That's the basic truths of our Christian faith. But we can't just stay there. We need to move on to the meat of God's word, which are the deeper truths of God's uh, kingdom of, of of the Christian faith. The problem is a lot of times when pastors try to get to the meat of the word, people's eyes glaze over and it's just kind of like you, you lost them. Why? Because as it says in Corinthians and it says later in Hebrews, the pastors, the teachers, the spiritual leaders wanted to, to go from milk to meat, but they weren't able. So they just kept giving milk. But I want you to notice in 1 Peter 2.2, 2, look at the top of your screen, we are to... Desire, everybody say the word desire. Desire, the pure milk of the word. Sometimes when I'm hungry, my stomach will growl really loud. And my wife will say, are you hungry? And I'll say, yeah, I'm famished. You know, I need, I need food. And so just like our stomachs hunger for lunch, our souls need to hunger for the word of God. What in the world would happen in this church if every single member starved for the Word of God, there would be a revival in our church. And we would see hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people beginning to devour the word like never before and thereby growing spiritually like never before, which would affect their marriages and their kids and their families and their coworkers and their neighbors and people in the city. I'm wondering if you'll pray with me. As Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 18 that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I wonder if you would pray with me that our church family would begin to hunger and desire the Word of God like never before. You see, but if I'm, if I'm eating two Snicker bars and three bags of M&Ms at 4 p.m., am I gonna be hungry for Stacy's nutritious meal that she makes me at 5 p.m.? No, but if we keep bringing in the world into our hearts, trying to fill up on the world, which by the way will always leave you empty. Listen, we're not gonna be hungry for this word, which is spiritual nutrition. And so we can't be conformed to this world. We gotta be renewed by the, by, the, by, by the word of God going over and meditating in the word of God in our lives. And so I wanna ask you personally to begin to pray for a hunger for the word of God in your own heart. Ask God to give you that desire. Ask God to give you that hunger. And then as you see that hunger starting to build, then begin to devour the word of God like never before. And you're gonna need some help. And so I'm always, because we have visitors every single week, repeating myself in this area, but you need to get some good Bible study tools. And blueletterbible.org is a great great online tool to help you read and meditate and study and devour the word of God. The Ryrie Study Bible is another great, great tool. And there's many, many others that you can ask our pastors about. And so these people, as a mark of their discipleship, begged in verse 42 that Paul would come back and teach them the word the next Sabbath. And it says now in verse 43, everybody look at verse 43, that after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism. These are um, Gentiles that became Jewish proselytes. They, look, look at this, followed Paul and Barnabas. Can you see them following them out the door, down the street? Who, as they spoke with them, Paul and Barnabas obviously turned around and kept teaching, urged them to continue... In the one of God. The grace of God. And so these believers knew that Paul and Barnabas were solid teachers. And so their attitude was, we're going to follow them. We want to listen to them. We want more of what they have to say. Okay, all right. So what are the marks of a disciple? If you're taking notes, the third fill in there is you surround yourself with solid teachers. You listen to solid teachers, And what is the mark or one of the marks of a solid teacher? Well, a solid teacher will say the same thing that Paul and Barnabas said when they turned around and noticed that all these people were still following them after the close of service. They said at the end of verse 43, continue in the grace of God. <laughs> that is a mark of a solid teacher. They emphasize grace. Grace. And so as I said before, my number one or in my life is the Spirit of Christ who lives inside of me. But there are certain teachers that I follow, and all the teachers that I follow all emphasize the grace of God. These men and their ministries teach that we begin in the grace of God, but then we should continue in the grace of God. Charles Ryrie is one of the uh, teachers that I follow. He went to heaven three years ago. But while he was on earth for, I think, 90 years, God used him to influence so many people for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so for just a couple minutes here, I want you to check out this awesome word about grace from Charles Ryrie. Check this out.
0: is hard to understand because grace is hard to understand free is hard to understand put them together impossible to understand almost what is easy to understand work and get rewarded I don't know at what age but an infant is pretty soon exposed to that do something get rewarded don't do it you might get punished and certainly as we Grow, get into public school or any kind of school. Uh, if you work, you get rewarded. If you don't, you get punished. So our whole upbringing, and our whole society, our, our work life uh, is built on that premise. If you work, get rewarded. So I think that appeals to us. So why do you put salvation in a different uh, ballpark? Uh, salvation uh, must also be related to this work and be rewarded idea and to say no it's, f- it's free and it's gr- of grace hard to understand it's free it's free it's hard to understand something's free even things that are advertised as free we, we always look for the strings attached and often there is some string attached grace Unmerited favor, no better easy definition than that. There's nothing cheap about grace, but there's everything free about grace. Be clear and let it be always
1: free. Free. Paul said to the church at Ephesus, for by grace have you been saved through faith, and that is not. Of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. It is free. If I were this morning to say, um, you know, Anthony, I have a, a, a gift for you, and I want you to come take this gift. So come on up, Anthony, take this gift. And, and this is for you. you. Um, but, you know, Um, actually, could I have a couple bucks? (laughs) Is it free? No, it's free when I say this is for you, no strings attached. That's what, thank you, sir. That's what the Bible teaches that our salvation is. It is absolutely free. But it's not cheap because it costs Christ everything. It costs Christ everything on the cross. And so what do we do? We, we, we begin in grace, but then the Bible says we need to continue. Paul says we need to continue in grace. But you know what's so sad? Is that this church was up in the area of Galatia, and Paul planted several churches in Galatia, and when he left, false teachers infiltrated those churches, and they began to teach another gospel You know what they began to teach? False teachers came into these brand new churches that Paul planted and moved on, and they began to say, hey, it's great that you wanna accept Jesus, all right. But you know, if you wanna be saved, that's not enough. You need to accept Jesus, and you need to be circumcised. And you need to keep holy the Sabbath, so sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday, no work. And if you wanna be saved, you need to make sure you keep the law of Moses and so what were they saying in these churches after Paul left in Galatia? they were saying it's if you want to be saved, it's faith plus works And when Paul heard about that, how do you think Paul responded? he was, he was livid. so what did he do? He wrote the letter of Galatians in our New Testaments. And here's what he said in Galatians. He said, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this, did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He warned them, continue in the grace of God, but they did not. They began to uh, allow people to add to the gospel of grace, and it became not the good news of Christianity, but the bad news of religion and religiosity. And so he says, man, if anyone comes to you with a gospel contrary to the one that I preached to you, let him be accursed, Do you know why I get excited about this stuff? Because people who believe that it's faith plus works and then maybe God will save me depending on my own merit, that if anybody teaches that, Paul says, under the inspiration of the Spirit, let him be accursed, let him be damned to hell. And so we dare not ever add to the gospel of grace. I grew up in the church I went to church every Sunday of my life, but I did not receive the Spirit of God into my life until I stopped trusting in Mike Wiggins and his works to earn salvation, and I started trusting Christ alone and what he did on the cross to save my soul. And that's when the Spirit came in to my heart. And changed me. That's when I was born again by the Spirit of God. And people have trouble with this, as Dr. Ryrie said. They just don't get it. What are you talking about? I've been taught since I was a little kid. You work hard, you're rewarded. Isn't heaven the same way? No, <laughs> it's not. You say, well, where do works come in? If you're with me, say amen here. Amen. Never as an effort to merit salvation, always as an evidence that manifests salvation. So if you understood that, say amen. Amen. Gotta get that. Never as an effort to merit salvation, always as an evidence to manifest or that manifest salvation, which is always by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Continue in the grace of God. Verse 44, the next Sabbath... Almost the whole city (laughs) gathered to hear The word of the Lord. See what happens when you preach good news? Almost the whole city. And so I want you guys to imagine 2,000 years ago, put yourself in the sandals of these people. You're in that synagogue. It's the next Saturday. Paul preached the message of hope the Saturday before. Now you're here for more of the word of God. And you look and the synagogue is packed like never before. And you get up and you walk out the back door and there's hundreds of people, Jews and Gentiles, standing outside all wanting to hear the word of God. And it says now in verse 45, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with joy because a spiritual awakening was occurring in Antioch. Is that what it says? Don't you wish it said that, by the way? Don't you wish the Jewish religious leaders in the first century would have said yes to Jesus? All those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds, thousands of synagogues around the Roman Empire could have become churches that exalt Jesus as Christ. But they hardened their hearts. And it says in verse 45, but when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with, what's the word? Jealousy. Jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And so instead of their hearts being filled with joy because a spiritual awakening is starting to occur in Antioch, their hearts are filled with envy because Paul's getting all the attention, not us. Ladies and gentlemen, please, if you struggle with jealousy right now about somebody who's getting more attention than you, who maybe got the raise or got the promotion or you know, has more stuff than you, you need to repent of that sin, admit it and quit it. Because just like the Jewish religious leaders missed out on what God was doing in their city, you will miss out on God's will in your life if you allow your heart to be filled with jealousy and envy. Just admit it and quit it and walk away from it and just accept what God has for you. Be you. Don't try to be someone else. Don't try to covet what other people have. Be happy with what God has given you and God will fill you with joy. And so it says now in verse 46, and Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, they're not backing down to these people, saying it was necessary talking to the Jewish religious leaders. It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, right, the Jew first. But since you thrust it, the word of God, thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the who? The Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, here comes Paul, the Bible teacher, again, quoting another Bible verse, Isaiah 49, 6. Speaking about the coming Messiah, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. I love it, I love it, I love it. Isaiah, man, the Old Testament book that has the gospel right there. So many passages in Isaiah, like Isaiah chapter 49 verse six, that show us that God doesn't wanna just save the Jews. God wants to save the Gentiles as well. And so he sent his son as a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And Paul and Barnabas were called as ambassadors of this Messiah who is a light to the Gentiles. They were ambassadors of light. We should be ambassadors of Jesus. We should be ambassadors of light. But here's what happened. The Jewish religious leaders said, no. And so if Paul's like, fine, fine and he turned to the Gentiles. I have to say this because of rising anti-Semitism within our world. Does this mean because Paul turned to the Gentiles that all Jews are damned to hell? Please, please do not believe that and please never look down your nose at Jewish people. Because thousands, listen, the whole church was Jewish in the beginning and thousands and thousands and thousands of Jews have come to Jesus as their Messiah and they're still coming today. And so please don't read into the Bible what's not there, but let's continue now in verse 48. It says, and when the Gentiles heard this, right, that God wants to save us too, (laughs) they began to what? Rejoice and glorify the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Now what happens when you believe? you get what? Saved. Okay, so what are the marks of a disciple? Well, if you're taking notes, and all the perfectionists are like, finally, oh, man. (laughs) Number one is saved. But do you see how this flows? That's the first thing that has to happen in your life. If you're not saved, you'll never have spiritual hunger. (laughs) And so a mark of a disciple, number one, is that person, that man, that woman, is saved. And so the phrase in verse 48, as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Is one of the many verses in the New Testament that teach what is called the doctrine of election. The doctrine of election, which by the way, sad to say for 500 years has caused more controversy than any other single doctrine in the Bible. This is something that Satan has used to divide churches for 500 years. Years And it's so sad because, because of all the controversy and all the division over it, people have forgotten to just rejoice in the fact that God, Ephesians chapter one, chose me, God chose me. And so let's see what Peter has to say about the doctrine of election. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the pilgrims, all in these different areas of the diaspora or the dispersion, but look at this, elect, okay, these are the pilgrims, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the who? In sanctification of the who? For obedience and sprinkling of the blood of who? Grace to you and peace be multiplied. So even though the Old Testament only hints at the Trinity, through the progressive revelation of the New Testament, the Trinity, ladies and gentlemen, is clearly revealed in the, New, in the New Testament. This is just one of many verses that clearly reveals the Trinity. And so we believe in one God, eternally existent in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And did you know that each of those three persons took part in your salvation? Here's your next fill-in, when it comes to your salvation, the Father thought it, the Son bought it, and the Spirit wrought it. Now let's think through this, because this, this is what has meaning, this is what has purpose. You know, I'm a sports guy, I like sports, but you know what's a billion times more important than whether Miami is gonna win their football game today or not? is what does God say about your salvation? And so the father thought it, the son bought it, and the spirit wrought it. Ephesians chapter one verse four says that before he created the world, before the foundation of the world, the father thought about you and he elected you. Very clear, Ephesians chapter one verse four. You say, how is that possible? Peter told us. We're elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. So I want you to imagine a timeline, all right? Imagine a timeline that starts with Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, okay? So God created the material universe. We have a sun, we have a world, an earth that's spinning on its axis and revolving around the sun. Time has kicked off. And I want you to imagine this timeline, and it goes throughout all of history Until Revelation 21, verse one, John, after the Lord destroys the material universe with fire, which is a biblical doctrine, he will not destroy the earth with a flood. Have you ever seen a rainbow? But he will destroy the material universe with a fire. And after that, time is done. And Revelation 1, John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth so now we're in eternity. But I want you to imagine this timeline. And yes, we are looking forward to eternity. Now, we exist on this timeline. We are limited temporal people who live on this timeline. God does not live on the timeline. God lives out here. He's eternal. He lives outside of time. God is timeless. And so he does not exist as we do. He doesn't think as we do. We think sequentially. One thought after another thought after another thought. God is not limited like that. He's omniscient. He knows knows all things all at once. God does not think sequentially. God thinks simultaneously. He lives in the eternal now. There's no past with God. There's no present. I'm sorry, no future with God. He lives in the eternal now. He doesn't think sequentially. He thinks simultaneously. As Dr. Norman Geisler says, <clears throat> and I quote, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> if God is simple, meaning absolutely one, then both foreknowledge and predetermination are one in him. That is, whatever God knows, he determines, and whatever he determines, he knows. And so if there's any Armenian people who are listening to my voice right now, please know that God's choice of us is not dependent upon our choice of him. Because John tells us in John 1.13 that we're born again, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but by the will of God. His choice is he doesn't look down the corridors of time as if he's limited in time and see that we're gonna choose him and so therefore he chooses us. That's not true. We're not born of our will. We're born of God by his will. It says in Ephesians 1, 5 that we're predestined according to the purpose of his will. But if you're a Calvinist and you're hearing my voice right now, please know that God never forces His will upon the unwilling. Jesus looked over Jerusalem. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather you together as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. And so he wanted to save them, but did he force his will on them? Yes or no? No. And so if you're with me here, say amen. See, what we're doing right now is we're going to the meat of the word. And so listen, God's election is not based on our free choice. But his election is not and never exercised apart from our free choice. You say, I'm, I'm confused, Pastor. Well, welcome to the meat of the word. But I can't keep going because I'm running out of time. And so I'll just, I'll just encourage you to get a really good resource if you want to. And by the way, this is strong meat. If you wanna go deeper into the whole idea of election, the sovereignty of God, and free will, and man's choice, there's a great book called Chosen But Free by Dr. Norman Geisler. I said Dr. Charles Ryrie died three years ago. Dr. Geisler just died three months ago, July 1st. He went home to be with the Lord. And he is one of the greatest theologians of the modern era. I was listening last night before I went to sleep of his, his funeral and the keynote speaker at his funeral was Ravi Zacharias. Have you ever heard of Ravi Zacharias? The author of that book was Ravi Zacharias's mentor. And so he was his professor. And so another giant of the faith has gone on to be with the Lord. God, raise up more men and women of faith who will teach the Word of God. When it comes to your salvation, the Father thought it, and the Son bought it. The Son bought it, redemption through his blood. The Son of God left his throne, right? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. So in the beginning of the material universe was the Word. The Word already existed because the Son of God is eternal. And yet, as a man, he humbled himself and limited himself as a human to this timeline. <laughs> he entered time and space through a virgin's womb. And yes, he came and delivered beautiful messages. And yes, he came and did amazing miracles, but his messages and his miracles were not the primary reason he came. Jesus came, he was born to die on Calvary. Here's the bad news. The bad news is the penalty of your sin and my sin is death, eternal damnation in hell, but here's the good news. God loves you and me and his son paid for your sins in full on the cross (laughs) by his blood. The father thought it, the son bought it and the spirit of God wrought it. Listen to this, according to Ephesians chapter two, you and I were dead in our BC days We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were walking according to the course of this world. We were influenced by the prince of the power of the air. We were living in the lust of our own flesh and we were by nature children of wrath. Children of wrath. We deserved God's wrath. But even in that depraved condition, God loved us and sent his spirit and the spirit of God wooed us and drew us to Christ. And we came under conviction of our sins. And the spirit of God did his job. He convicted us of sin and righteousness and judgment. And as we finally realized I'm a sinner and I deserve death and hell, but Jesus died in my place. What happened is when we said yes to Jesus and trusted him alone, The Spirit of God caused us to be born again. God thought it, the Son bought it, the Spirit wrought it. Somebody says, Pastor, are you a Calvinist or an Arminian? I'm neither. I like what Charles Ryrie said, which is the second to last fill-in on your card. Don't let yourself be known as a Calvinist or an Arminian. Be known as a Biblicist. A biblicist, I'm a biblicist, what does that mean? That means I teach the word of God, which I interpret literally. Understanding their symbols and understanding their figures of speech, but I teach the word of God at face value. So when a passage teaches of God's election, I teach it with all my heart. And when a passage teaches that we need to come to Christ and ask forgiveness and receive him, I teach that with all my heart because both are true. And so it says now in verse 49, that the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. It was spreading, the word of God, spreading throughout Antioch of Pisidia. So what are the marks of a disciple? The fourth one is a disciple, a follower of Jesus, spreads the word of God. Check out verse 44 again. Look at what's going on in the city. It says the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Now how does that happen? How does so many people come to a service? Two things. Number one, God was drawing them. Number two, the people were inviting them. I want you to grab your invite card, it's on your seat. Everybody grab your invite card, I'm just gonna wait until you grab your invite card because this is really important. Because ladies and gentlemen, this is not, this whole Christianity thing is not about us coming to a church service and getting our are uh, tank filled and then walking away. It's about others. And so you have an opportunity with this invite card to do what the people did in Acts chapter 13. And so what I wanna encourage you to do is I want you to encourage you to, to pray for open doors to share the love of Jesus. Pray first, and then live for the Lord at home, at work, and at play. And then as doors open, and they always do, and you'll know when it opens, Share your testimony. Everybody loves a story. So share who you were before Christ, how Christ saved you, and now what he's done in your life all by his grace. And then take that invite card and say, hey, we'd love to have you come to us a, to a, a, one of our gatherings. I'll meet you in the foyer and I'll sit with you. And so the word of God, as it was spreading in Antioch, can do the same here. And we've seen that here in our local church. And now as the word was spreading, What happens? The enemy attacks. So let's look at our last three verses. Verse 50. But the Jews incited the devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city, the political leaders, stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And look at this, it got violent here. And they drove them out of their district. Some people just don't wanna hear the truth. Verse 51. But they, Paul and Barnabas, shook the dust from their feet against them and went on to Iconium. In other words, if someone's not listening and the door's closed, don't kick the door down. Just move on. Verse 52, and the who? Were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. What are the marks of a disciple? Number five, a disciple is spirit-filled. I want you to stay with me the last two minutes. are very, very important here. A disciple is spirit-filled. A Christian, when they come to Christ, is indwelt by the spirit. But did you know that the indwelling of the spirit and the filling of the spirit are two different things? You got to get this because this will help you in your Christian life. Look at what Paul wrote to a bunch of Christians who were already indwelt by the Spirit in Ephesians 5.18. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, that's, that's indulging um, yourself, that's excess. Don't do that. But, look at this, be what with the Spirit? Filled. So just like too much wine, being under the influence of too much wine will lead to a loss of control, So being under the influence of the Spirit leads to self-control. And not just self-control, but the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And so we need to be filled, Christians, with the Spirit of God. And what happens when we're filled with the Spirit of God? Our marriages are strengthened, our children are blessed, our families actually stay together, our churches come alive, and lost people find Christ. You you say, Pastor, I'm struggling in my marriage, should I get a book on marriage? Yes. Should I go to a marriage conference? Yes. Should I join a marriage group? Yes. But the number one thing that you should do, husband, wife, is surrender your will to the will of the Spirit, and allow the Spirit to influence you and fill you. Ladies, how many of you ladies would love to live with a man who's filled with love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control? And men, how many of you guys would love to live with a woman like that? See, that's the key. That's the key. You say, Pastor, my children, I don't know what to do. They're going crazy. There's problems in my home. Should I, I get a book on parenting? Yes. Should I join a group on parenting? Yes. But the number one thing you could you should do, moms and dads, is be filled every day with the Spirit of God. And when your home becomes Christ's castle and the spirit of God is all over, your children will be blessed, and they'll be submissive to the authority of their parents in that environment. You might be a pastor and you might a future pastor, and you say, "You know, I'm going into this ministry thing, and I, should, I, should I go to a conference for pastors? Yes. Should I get a book about pastors? Yes. A young man, the best thing you can do is be filled with the Spirit. If you wanna be a blessing to your future church, because if you're filled with the Spirit, your church will be alive. And the last thing I'm gonna say this morning is you say, Pastor, I have so many friends and family members and neighbors who are lost. Should I take a course on evangelism? Yes. Should I learn EE, Romans Road, Four spiritual laws, yes. But listen, the number one thing is you be filled with the Spirit. Because when you're filled with the Spirit, people will see Jesus in you. And just like 2,000 years ago, people flocked to Jesus. So they'll begin to flock to you when the love of Christ is flowing out of you.